Welcome to church. We are in part four of our summer series called Blessed. And if you're just uh, joining us today, we're so excited you're here. And I'll give you a little, you know, clue you in on what we're doing in this series. But in this series, we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter five in a section of scripture known as the Beatitudes. And this is where Jesus gives us um, some different direction on how we as people and we as families can really live a blessed life. So show of hands this morning, uh, how many of you would like a little bit more blessing in your life? Can we see a show of hands? Yeah, look around the room. Almost everybody raised their hand this morning. A couple of you did not raise your hand this morning. You prefer to be cursed, I guess. I don't know what it is um, with you. You're nuttier than a porta pot at a peanut festival. We'll pray for you. But for the rest of us, We want to be blessed. We we want the blessings of God in our life. But as we discovered last week, blessed isn't a word that's commonly used to describe most families in our world, in our culture today. I mean, we use a lot of different words. We use words like busy and struggling and and stressed out. You know, uh, one common word that's used to describe families today is probably this word right here crazy, right? Right? We feel like that. And so what we're doing in this series is is we're discovering how we can apply this powerful teaching of Jesus into our lives and into our homes to bring the blessings of God into our crazy families. And so last week, we looked at what Jesus said when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we talked about this radical idea of putting God first in our lives and in our families. Instead of just living as a Christian in name only, no, we're gonna live as somebody who puts God first. We're gonna make him a priority in our lives. Next week, we're gonna wrap up this series and we're gonna look at a really difficult passage in these Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we're gonna talk about how you know, we, we shouldn't really get worried when we're being persecuted. We should actually get worried when we're not facing some opposition in our lives because that could be a warning sign that maybe we're not on the right track. Now, I'm just, just curious as we dive into today's message, um, is there anybody in the room today that, and you've ever kind of experienced this in your life where, where you were robbed has anybody here ever been robbed in their life? Show of hands. Okay, a few of you, a few of you. I, I'm with you. I, I'm right there. Um, many of you guys know I, I moved here from, uh, from Maryland. You might not know this, but I used to live in the hood. Uh, for many years, I lived in Baltimore. And so um, we had stuff stolen like all the time. My car was broken into in the church parking lot during vacation Bible school, okay? And they stole stuff out of my car. My kids' bikes were stolen when they left them out in the front yard. Um, One time, we had um, a bunch of police officers banging on our door at uh, midnight, at 12 o'clock at midnight, and we, we went to figure out what was going on. Somebody had ordered a pizza delivery to our house and then robbed the pizza delivery guy at gunpoint in front of our house. And when I spoke to the detective, he was like, as soon as I saw the playground in your backyard and all the kids' toys, I figured it probably wasn't you. He's like, and then I looked you up and I saw you were a pastor and I prayed to God it wasn't you. That was his reaction. He's like, but this is Baltimore, so you never really know. You, don't, you know, it's like a, an episode of The Wire or something like that. 
Um, and, and so growing up around crime like that, um, Julie and I, you know, got a little bit paranoid. We put up like surveillance cameras and, you know, I had 15 different weapons in my house ready to, to take anybody down because, you know, as all men know, that's, that's what we do. We're called to, to kind of protect our families. I told you guys um, a few weeks ago during the Hero series that if my kids call me in the middle of the night, um, I grab my samurai sword, which I keep near my bed, and I run through the house in my tidy whities um, because that's my strategy to give any would-be, um, you know, intruder a heart attack when they see a fat man in underwear with a sword come running down the hallway at them. And, and women, you guys are the same way. I mean, I'm, just, I'm not singling the men out. Moms have a very protective instinct. Amen, moms? I mean, moms, you could take out a grizzly bear if it messes with your child. There's just something about us as parents for those of you who are parents here, you get this, that we just want to protect our kids. And what I find so interesting in culture today um, is that you get applauded if you protect your kids physically. If you want to protect your kids physically, I mean, you're cheered on. You, you send little Jimmy out there on his bike with a helmet and elbow pads and knee pads and a face mask and all that kind of stuff, you're called a good parent. Yet in our culture, when you try to protect your kid's heart, when you try to protect their morals, you're often called overprotective, right? We're, we're applauded for protecting them physically, but people make fun of you and ridicule you when you want to protect your kids morally and emotionally. And, and when you look at Scripture, we find that God actually calls us to not only protect our kids physically, but we're also called to protect them emotionally and spiritually. We're to protect the purity of their hearts. And there's a reason for that, because we have a very real spiritual enemy who wants to rob our families of their purity, who wants to break into their hearts and kill, steal, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. And so, so Jesus gave us a very, very specific beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 8, which is our key verse for today. And he said this. So say it with me, church. We'll put it up on the screen. He said, blessed are the what? Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. That's right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So let's start with that word heart. That word heart, in the Greek language, the word heart is cardio, and that's where we get our medical word cardiology from, the study of the heart. And Jesus was using this word as a metaphor in this message. He, he wasn't talking really about the heart as an organ in the body pumping lifeblood through our body, but he was using it as a metaphor to describe our inner self, our emotions, our feelings. And so when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, he was talking about the attitudes, the motives, the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings towards others. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for what will happen, for they will see God. Now, in our world today, it's very common for us to believe this myth about ourselves and others. Oh, we've, we've got a good heart. They've got a good heart. But the reality is, although that's a common saying, according to the scripture, it's simply not true for any of us. Well, we say all the time around here, there are no perfect people, right? We say that a lot. There are no perfect people. We are all sinners. And without Jesus, there is no such thing 
as a pure heart. In fact, in Scripture, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, the prophet Jeremiah says this, and it, I mean, it, it strikes us to the core. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. The heart is deceitful above all things. In fact, in Ephesians 4, verse 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul said something really profound to a group of, of young Christians in Ephesus about those amongst them who had started to drift from the faith. He said this in verse 18. He said, they are darkened in their understanding and, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their what, church? Hearts. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life that God wants them to have. They're missing out on the blessings of God because of their ignorance. They don't even realize it. Their hearts have grown hard to the things that matter most. How many of you have walked into a movie theater when it's really dark? Have you ever had that experience before when you just opened the door to the theater and all of a sudden it's just really, really dark? And you walked in and you were like, uh-oh, I got to be careful here or I might spill my popcorn and the candy and drinks that I'm smuggling in the theater, right? Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Us church people are notorious for our smuggling of candy and drinks into movies. We're like, I'm not paying $50 for concessions. That is not good stewardship. <laughs> I'm going to put some drinks and candy in my wife's purse. So if we get busted, she's in trouble and not me. Kids load up mom's purse, right? That's what we do. I saw some of you guys doing that at the Thor movie, right? Then we get in there, we feel guilty about it. So we buy the $10 tub of popcorn. I can identify all of you during the movie. You've got a popcorn and nothing else. Something's in your bag, I know, okay? But what happens after you walk into a dark theater? Your eyes, you don't see anything, right? But then after a few minutes, what happens? You can see better, right? After a few minutes, suddenly you can see better. Why? Because your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. When we allow darkness and impurity into our lives, over time, we slowly but surely become desensitized to it, and we don't even realize it. Paul goes on to say this in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And they are full of greed. That verse of scripture right there, I think is one of the verses of scripture that probably best describes the culture that we live in today. It just, I mean, it was written 2,000 years ago, and it so accurately describes our culture today. Let me say that verse again, phrase it a little differently. Having lost all sensitivity, our culture is giving itself over to all sorts of sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity. Now, our families, we love them, right? The people in our lives, the people you're sitting next to right now, we want to protect them, right? We love them. We care about them. Many of us would say, I'd lay down my life for the people in my family. We, we would never dream of doing anything like going to our little baby and saying, here, little baby, here's a bottle of poison. Drink this, right? We wouldn't do that. Unheard of. 
No, who would ever do something like that? We would never tell our kid, hey, why don't you go swimming in a pool of toxic waste, little Billy? Go ahead, jump on in, have fun. No, we wouldn't do that. We would never do that. And yet, and yet, we'll send our 15, 16-year-old out on a date with a non-Christian, hormone-filled teenager we've never met and whose family we've never met. That happens all the time in Christian culture. We'll give our 10-year-old unlimited access to a mobile phone device where they can get into anything and everything that we would never want them to put into their little minds. And we call that absolutely normal. In fact, in our culture today, if a middle schooler doesn't have a cell phone, that's considered borderline child abuse, right? Could it be that one of the reasons our homes are not blessed the way that God intends is because maybe our hearts have become a little bit hardened, and without even knowing it, we've started to lose all sensitivity of the darkness? Last week, we had a key thought that I'm going to continue to, to bring up in the last two weeks of this series, but it was about having a mind shift to a different way of thinking. It was this idea that, that we're no longer going to be satisfied with just calling ourselves a Christian or, or a Christian family in name only. Instead, we're going to be a God-first people, and we're going to be God-first homes. Now, if you missed last week, you might say, well, what's, what's the difference, Pastor? I don't really... I don't really get that. What's the difference? Well, in our culture today, about 65% of people in this country, and it's, it's down a lot in the last 20 years, but currently it's about 65% of people in our country would consider themselves to be a Christian. But if we really examine them, we would not say that all of them are God first in the way they live. There's a big difference. We, we can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, I kind of believe in God and believe in Jesus and stuff like that, but there's a big difference between that and saying, no, Jesus is first in my life. In every way, he is Lord of my life, he is number one, he gets that position in every area of my life. He's not just going to be a part of my life, he is my life, he's my Lord, he's my Savior. And if we want the blessings of God we need to start to learn to live according to his word. And that's exactly what Psalm 119, verse 9 and 10 says. It says this. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all of my heart. I will seek you with all of my heart. If you've got kids or if you're a student here this morning, if you're a middle school student, a high school student, a college student, I think this is a great question to ask yourself. How in the world, in the culture we live in today, with all the temptations of this world, how in the world can I stay on the path of purity? Well, culture says, hey, just follow your heart. You got a good heart, just follow your heart. But listen to me, that is the dumbest advice that you could ever follow. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. I've seen so many couples in like 20 years of doing marriage counseling with people, I've seen so many couples follow their heart right out of a marriage into adultery. Why? Because the heart said, she's hot. The heart said, oh, he says nice things to me. Don't follow your heart. How can a young person keep their way pure? Here's what scripture says, by living according 
to your word. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek you, God, with all of my heart. Don't let me stray from your word. Now, for those of you this morning who aren't married, for our singles who are here today, for those of you who don't have a kids or a family right now, and you've been just kind of kicking back during this first part of the message, and you're like, yeah, pastor, you tell those married people, you tell those people with kids, you get them. I just want you to know, this applies to you just as much, okay? This totally applies to you. What you do today matters. I'll talk about this more in a few weeks at the At The Movie series, but what you do today sets the very stage for your future, the future that you want five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. In fact, you can't build a future house of holiness on a foundation of sin. You can't. That was good preaching. Someone should have amen that right there, okay? That was some good stuff. I might tweet that later today. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen. Tech people, can you do that? There you go. You can't build a future house of holiness on a foundation of sin. If you want to live a life on fire for Jesus, a life of holiness and righteousness, if you want to impact the world, if you want to change the world for God, if you want to impact your future family, if you want to leave a godly legacy that's going to last for generations and generations to come, it starts right now. No matter how young you are, how can a young person stay pure? By living according to your word. So let's do this, church. Let's just maybe acknowledge this morning, and I'm included in this, okay? I'm not saying I'm holier than thou. I, I told you at the start of this series that I was going to be transparent uh, about myself and my family and our own, you know, weaknesses and struggles as well. I'm in this right with you guys. But let's just all acknowledge this morning that perhaps, just perhaps, in our lives and in our homes, our eyes have grown a little accustomed to some darkness. And our hearts have gotten a little hard. And we don't even see sometimes the ways that we've let impurity become a part of our lives. Well, if that's true, how can we change? How can we change? We, one of the things we say about here, one of our core values is that change people what? Change. We don't stay the same. We're in a constantly growing relationship with Jesus, step by step and day by day. So if that's true and we recognize something's amiss, how can we change to create a culture of purity in our lives, in our homes, and truly start to make God first? Well, in our last few minutes, I want to give you two quick and really practical thoughts. The first is this, if you were taking notes, it has to start with ourselves. Number one, get your own heart right. Number one, get your own heart right. We're going to do a heart check. We're going to do a little cardiology appointment with ourselves, and we're going to examine where are we right now. Let's really take a close look and see where we're at. Let's start there. Let's get our own heart right. And I don't care if you're in the room right now and you're 14 or you're 94. I believe you set the tone when it comes to looking in the mirror and examining yourself, and that then sets the tone to relationships around you. You set the tone, and no matter where you are, you can choose to make a change 
and to make a course correction and to start to lean towards purity. In fact, King Solomon said this in Proverbs 4.23, and he was considered the wisest person to live other than Jesus. He said, this is the best advice that I can give you. So we should probably listen to it. Here he said, here's what he said. This is my best advice, Proverbs 4.23. He said, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So when we look at, you know, what we're going to allow into our lives and what we're going to allow into our families, you know, what we want to read, what we want to watch, what kind of friends we're going to allow in our inner circle. I mean, God calls us to love everyone and be friends with everyone and be an influence to everyone, but your inner circle, the people you're taking advice from for your life, you know, who are those people going to be and, and what things we're going to feed into our minds it starts by looking in the mirror at ourselves. I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, about, about 15 years ago, Julie would say to me, AJ, I really think some of the movies that we're watching really aren't building us up as followers of Jesus. And I was like, Julie, you're overreacting. You're, you're just being so legalistic. For those of you who know my wife, she's like the holiest person I know. She's right up there with Pastor Nancy, okay? We, the staff, we call her Saint Nancy, like Mother Teresa has nothing on her, okay? No, seriously, you hear Nancy pray, you get goosebumps. It's like she's, she's, she's amazing, all right? But I was like, Julie, come on. Don't be so legalistic. It's just a little bad language. Doesn't mean I'm going to go around and start cussing people out. It's a little bit of violence. It's an action movie. I like action movies. I'm not going around attacking people in the streets, breaking out machine guns. I'm not doing that. Well, about 15 years ago, we went out on a date night with a, a couple from our church, Dana and Casey. And in fact, they weren't just any couple from our church. They were, um, they were a pastoral couple in training at our church plant. Um, he was the worship leader. She was our outreach leader overseeing our food and clothing ministry to the homeless in Baltimore City. And so we went out to dinner, and then we just kind of on the spur said, well, let's go see a movie too. And we went to a theater, and we got tickets to go see a new movie that was coming out that we didn't even know that much about, and the movie was rated R. Some of you look horrified. Thank you for judging me. I'm sure you've never made a bad decision in your life. Bless you perfect people here in church this morning, okay? In fact, now that I come to think of it, I might get fired for telling the story with our district superintendent here today. <laughs> but that ship has sailed, so pray for me, church, those of you who, who like me, okay? And, and so we're, we're, we're sitting there. We enter the movie theater. We're sitting there, and the movie starts. And immediately, five seconds into the movie, there's an F-bomb. Then the Lord's name in vain, and then another F-bomb. And all of a sudden, I start feeling really convicted in the first 15 seconds into this movie. And I'm thinking, man, I've got these leaders from our church, local licensed ministers uh, in the course of study to become pastors, people I'm supposed to be mentoring. And I'm setting a bad example. And while I'm thinking that, while that thought's going through my mind, about 10 more F-bombs are dropped in this movie. And so, you know, whenever I'm really struggling, I go to my wife for wisdom. And so I look over to Julie, hoping for some godly advice from her. She's gone. 
After the second F-bomb, she got up and left the theater, left me there alone with this couple. And so then I, then I look over at them, and they look over at me, and after an awkward silence, um, they whisper, Pastor, we saw Julie leave. We think we should leave too. After that incident, I was so convicted, I thought to myself, I can't believe I've been rationalizing paying money to be entertained by sin for years. But that's just about what everybody in our Christian culture today does. But to quote my dear mother, she used to say this to me all the time growing up, just because everybody else jumps off a bridge doesn't mean you should, right, son? Thanks for that, Mom. That was good advice, right? But that was a turning point. That was a turning point for me where God really started convicting me of saying, AJ, you need to set some guardrails in your life. You need to look at areas of your life, and you need to put up some guardrails that prevent you from ever putting yourself in that kind of a position again. What are you going to do about it? And it required me to make a course correction. And my prayer became, God, help me to get my heart right. Convict me if I'm thinking things that are impure. Convict me if I'm allowing impure things into my mind, into my home, into my family. Show me if I've got close relationships or friendships in my life that are pulling me away from you, God, instead of drawing me closer to you. Help me, God, to get my heart right. I want to be God first. So the first thing is, we're going to get our own heart right. That's number one. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Number two, we're going to start to pursue a pure heart. We're going to start to pursue a pure heart. Moving forward, we're going to start to pursue a pure heart. In the Old Testament, when Samuel was looking to anoint a king, he looked at David. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, he said, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. God looks at the heart. That, that's a powerful, powerful truth in Scripture. In fact, Jesus was a fanatic about the heart. In the Old Testament, Scripture taught, don't murder. And then Jesus came on the scene, and what did he do? He talked to the heart. He said, hey, I'm looking at the heart. Forget about murder being the standard. That's well and good. I don't want you to have hate in your heart. I don't want you to hold hate in your heart because if you've hated somebody, you're committing murder in your heart. The Old Testament said don't commit adultery. Jesus said forget that. Let me look at your heart. Let's see what's going on in your heart. If you're looking lustfully at someone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. I mean, that's a pretty high standard. And then he slammed the Pharisees and the religious people because they had on this outward appearance and this outward behavior of being holy and righteous. They looked so good on the outside. But on the inside, they looked down on all the people around them. They didn't have love in their heart for their brothers and sisters in the world. And Jesus is like, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside of your cup is filthy it's nasty. It stinks. And think about it. Where do you drink from? Yeah, you drink from the inside of the cup. The inside is most important. 
Parents, why do you think in our culture today so many kids turn 18 and they leave the home, they go to college or whatever, out into the workforce, and they start to rebel and go crazy? I think it's because for so long, they've been taught to conform outwardly their behaviors. They've been taught that in school by teachers. They've been taught that in home. They've been taught to conform their outward behavior. But the heart has often been ignored. Like we talked about last week, legalism and fundamentalism on one end of the spectrum is all about rules without any relationship. But rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And so the question should be, you know, why are we focusing just on conforming outward behavior and rules? We need to stop focusing on shaping behavior, and we need to start focusing on, is there a personal relationship with Jesus, and then pursuing a pure heart, a heart that's, that's striving to be pure out of this love for God, for God to be first. And the reason I say we're pursuing a pure heart is because that's not something we can achieve on our own and through our own efforts, but it's through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that we can truly achieve purity of the heart. In Ephesians 5.3, Paul said this. He said, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Not even a teensy-weensy bit of immorality. Pop quiz, would someone committing adultery with five people be a hint of immorality, yes or no? Come on, people, this is not a trick question. I'm throwing like softball pitches to you guys underhand. Would I'll ask it again. Would having adultery with five people, would that be considered a hint of immorality? Yes, absolutely. Would sleeping with 50% of the people you date before you're married, would that be considered a hint of immorality? Yes. Men, would looking lustfully at some videos or some images on a screen be considered a hint of immorality? Yes. Women, if you're at the gym and an attractive man walks by and you start worshiping God for what you just saw, glory to God, praise God for him. Mm -mm, that was a fine-looking man with his six-pack abs. Is that showing a hint of immorality, yes or no? According to Jesus, yes, it actually would be. Not even a hint. We're pursuing purity of the heart. So then the big question to ask ourselves is this. How much impurity do you want to let in? How much impurity do you want to let in? My small group a few years back, um, we, we use a lot of teaching on Right Now Media and doing studies with that. I know several of the small groups have been using that as a tool. And um, we were doing a teaching from Pastor Craig Rochelle, which was really, really good. And, and in it, he told this story that I, I loved. He told a story about a little kid who was about eight years old, and he wanted to see a scary movie that was like rated PG-13. And he was like eight years old. And his mom said, no, you're not seeing a PG-13 movie. You're eight years old. And the kid just started nagging and going on and on. Mom, please, all my friends are watching it. Their parents are cool. Their parents are letting them see it. All of them are seeing it. I'm the only one who hasn't been able to see it. There's not a lot of bad stuff in it. There's only a little bit of bad stuff in it. Not a lot of bad stuff. I can handle it. I'm not going to get nightmares or anything like that. So his mom thought for a second. And then she said, okay, okay, here's the deal. Fine. 
fine. I'm going to let you do it. But first, you got to eat some of my brownies. And the kid was shocked and excited. He got pumped. He was like, what, really? I get to see a scary movie, and I'm having brownies for dinner? Best day ever. He was, like, super excited. And so he gets ready. He gets ready. And his mom says, hold on a second, as she's making the brownie batter. And she gets a tiny little spoon. And she opens the back door, and she goes outside into the backyard. And she looks on the ground, and she takes a spoon, and she bends down, and she takes a tiny little scoop of some dog poop from the backyard. And she comes back into the kitchen, and the boy sees it, and she dumps it right into the brownie batter and continues to, to whip it up, puts it in the oven, bakes it. His jaw is just open the whole time as he's watching this. And then she pulls it out of the oven. She says, here you go, son. And he said, I'm not eating that. He said, that is gross. That is disgusting. You're poisoning me. And she said, no, 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 no. Come on, son. There's just a little bit of poop in there. Just a teeny, weeny, weeny, weeny little bit. Just like your movie. It's no big deal, right? It's just a little bit. So church, what's your standard going to be? If you're a follower of Jesus in this room today, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and you're trying to live a God-first life, what's your standard going to be? Listen, when you find purity by the power of God, and not just moral purity, but when God starts to change your heart, and you stop desiring what you once desired, and you start desiring the things that matter to the heart of God, it's amazing. It's, it's transformational. You're going to start making God first. And the blessings that he is going to pour into your life, the changes that are going to happen in your life and where your walk with him goes, is going to go beyond your wildest dreams. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what, church? Say it with me again. For they will see God. You're going to see things you've never imagined. When you start to say, God, I want a pure heart. I want to make you first in everything. Imagine if you start to see God answer your prayers. Imagine if you start to see God use you in the lives of other people. You start to see God make a difference in the world around you as he moves through you. When you're pure in heart, you can start to see the power of God unfold in your life in ways you've never imagined. Now, some of you are going to go, well, well, great for you, Pastor, but you don't know me. I've screwed up big time. My heart is messed up. I've done some bad things. I've screwed up big time in my life. I am so far off the mark. In fact, this whole message, I just feel beat up. Listen, I can relate to you more than you know, and so can most of the people in this room today. That's why we lean on the promises of the word of God. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says this, last verse we'll look at today. He says this, he makes his promise, an incredible promise. He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, your hard heart. And I will give you a heart 
of flesh. Some of you, your heart has grown hard. Listen, if you're offended today, I apologize. If you're pushing back, could it be, though, that your heart has just grown a little hard? Maybe God is telling you today, I love you, and I want to give you a new heart. I want to do some heart surgery on you. I want to remove that hard heart of stone, and I want to give you a new heart of flesh because there is a standard of righteousness that we can't achieve on our own. It takes the power and the goodness of God through the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we seek him and when we know him and when we love him with our whole heart and we choose to make him first in our lives, we are no longer going to be Christians in name only. We're going to be a God first people. We're going to be sold out for him. We're going to be all in. And suddenly the standard rises and the power of God through his Holy Spirit gives us a new heart and we will be changed forever, forever. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed, eyes closed? God, help us to be pure in heart. That is our prayer today so that we can see you like we've never seen you before. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would start to do some heart surgery in our lives. As we're praying, some of you, some of you may recognize this morning like I did at one point in my life, man, I've just been accepting this, but it's not really good for me or pleasing to God. I've just let my eyes get accustomed to darkness. Some of you may say, you know, I recognize I'm letting impurities into my life or into the lives of those I love and I'm feeling convicted by this. If right now in the presence of God, you would like to ask him to help you lift the standard of what you pursue, to no longer be okay with a little poop in your brownies, but you truly wanna seek him at a higher level and to truly with all that you are, desire to have a purity of heart, a deeper intimacy with him, to start living a God-first life. If that's your prayer right now, God, help me to live with a pure heart so I can truly see you and live for you. If that's you this morning, would you just lift a hand right now and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? That's me. I wanna, I wanna live like that. Praise God. Praise God. So many people in the room right now God, I pray that you would just honor these hands that are up all over the place right now. I pray that you would honor those right now watching online at home who just responded as well and say, yeah, that's me. God, I don't want to walk in darkness. God, I want to, I want to pursue a pure heart. I want to live God first. I want to see you in my life, God. Father, I pray that you would do a work in us. And God, just as you've shown me again and again and again new things that I didn't see, I pray that for these brave men and women and teenagers who just responded, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see where they've allowed darkness into their hearts. God, we pray that you would not only forgive us of our sins, Lord, but you would empower us to do what we can't do on our own, to fix our hearts. God, renew our hearts. God, give us a new heart. Restore in us a clean heart, Father. Help us to be sold out for you above all else. 
like David, we wanna be known as people who are after your own heart. God, I pray especially for the families here this morning that we wouldn't be Christian families in name only, but we would be God-first homes. As we continue to pray this morning, there might be, there might be some of us here today who are like, man, I'm hearing this stuff, and I think I would love to know God. I would love to see God. But Pastor, I'm so far from God, it's ridiculous. I've got so much in my life that I've got to clean up first before I can even think about getting into this God stuff. I am so jacked up, you can't even imagine. And if that's you today, I wanna to tell you right now that you can never get good enough for God. On your own, it's impossible. Listen, your heart is messed up. This is a problem we all have. My heart is messed up. Our hearts are sinful and deceitful. And the only way we are made right is not by working towards him with our good deeds, but by being saved by his grace. He will take our old heart and he will replace it with a new heart. And you don't have to clean yourself up to start a relationship with him. He's ready to meet you exactly where you are, right in the mess, right in the muck. No matter how jacked up you feel you are, he's a God who loves you so much, he'll get in the dirt with you and he'll pull you out. That's the kind of God that we serve. And because of Jesus, as Jim said so eloquently earlier today, he who was without sin, who died, who became sin, who bore our sins upon himself, who died and rose again to have victory over sin. Scripture says that anyone who calls on his name, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And that includes you. So today, if you recognize, I need his forgiveness, I need his grace, I'm telling you, that's the reason you're here today. That's the reason you're watching today. You need to call on him. And when you do, he promises he will hear you and he will transform you and you will never, ever, ever be the same. This is your moment. This is the moment of your salvation. For those of you who would say, yes, that's me. I need him. I need his grace. Today, I want to call on Jesus. Forgive me. I don't want to just call myself a Christian in name only. I need Jesus. I want him to be my first. I want him to be my Lord, the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to make him first. If that's your prayer, would you just lift a hand right now and say, that's me, I need Jesus in my life. Praise God. See that in the back. Praise God. I see another. Praise God. Somebody else. Praise God over to the left. Is there anybody else this morning? And I say this week after week, this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. Is there anybody else this morning? I don't want to let the moment pass away, so a couple more seconds. Anybody else? If, you're a if your heart is like pounding in your chest right now, that's God speaking to you, saying this is your time. Have 10 seconds of boldness. Is there anybody else you need Jesus in your life this morning? Praise God. Let me pray for you guys right now. For those of you who are followers of Christ, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me right where I'm at. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Give me a new heart to follow you and serve you. Jesus, 
Today I move my faith off of myself and what I've done onto you, my Savior, and what you've done for me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you with a pure heart for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate what God is doing? Lives for our people. Praise God. Praise God. This time we're going to welcome our district superintendent, Dr. Paul McPherson, up, and we're going to take time for communion together. If you have not received the elements, they are on the back table if you want to grab them. Uh, it is a joy to be with you this morning and to invite you to the table. And I want to take this moment to remind you that this is not the table of the Port South Portland Church of the Nazarene. Nor is this the table of the Church of the Nazarene, nor is it the table of the main district. This is the table of Jesus Christ himself. And as Max Licato would remind us, I may be the emissary, but it is Jesus himself who offers this invitation to come to the table. To a table in which we celebrate this outward sign of the inward grace that is transformative in our lives. But it's also a table in which we can experience what we understand to be a means of grace, where we can experience anew this grace that does work and redeem and transform and restore us. In fact, John Wesley, our theological forefather, tells this story in his, in his journal of his mother who in celebrating the sacrament of communion, came to a personal understanding and realization. And so for those of you who maybe raised your hand this morning, this is, this is your moment to celebrate that transformative work and that transformative grace that is available to all of us. Those of us who have been walking with Jesus for perhaps years, this is a moment for us to be reminded of the incredible gift that is ours through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so as we accept his invitation to his table this morning, I would remind you that it was in the very night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. It is through the, the brokenness of my body. It is through the giving of my body that you are able to be made pure in heart, that you are able to be restored to the very relationship for which you were created. And so as Jesus said to his disciples that evening, I would say to his disciples today, take and eat this in the remembrance that Christ died to make you pure in heart. Likewise, following the supper, Jesus took the cup. He passed it among his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. It is through the shedding of this blood, the blood of the perfect lamb shed before the foundation of the earth. It is through this blood that you can be made pure, that you can be restored to the image of God and that you can be restored to the very relationship for which you were created. And so as Jesus said to his disciples, on that night, I would say to you, his disciples today, take and drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you.
and be thankful. Let's stand together.
that as we go from this place, we will go as people who have been redeemed and restored, go as people who are being made pure in heart. Father, may we not allow just a little bit of that impurity to infect us, but may we allow your purity in us to infect those around us, that we would be a, a a, a true representation of the very presence of Christ in the places where you strategically put us this week. So, Father, we We give ourselves to you to that end. Receive now the benediction. Now may the God of peace make you holy and pure in heart in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body and heart be kept blameless and pure until our Lord Jesus comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. In his name we pray. Keep